Uh, for everybody else, if you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter uh, 32. So for those who missed it last week, we began a new series entitled Altering Your Destiny. And altering your destiny, the idea is more than just A-L-T-E-R, which means to change your destiny. It's the idea that it's in God's presence uh, that we're changed. As we started talking last week, we talked about being transformed by uh, the presence of God. And we talked about how our lives begin to reflect the people that we surround ourselves with. And the recognition that if we're ultimately going to live God's purpose, we need to spend time in God's presence. And we had a wonderful week uh, of just at the beginning of the week, just spending time together in God's presence as a church uh, at our evenings of prayer. Well, as we continue this series, uh, today's message is called Confronting Jacob. This is going to be a fun one. Okay, how many of you are the confrontational type of person? Come on, can confrontational people, raise your hands. Boldly, unashamedly, right? You can tell who the... Con- How many of you, when it comes to confrontation, you're like going, oh, let's slow down a little bit. If the temperature gets a little too hot or too much energy, you're just kind of like, let's just de-escalate a little bit, right? Well, today we're going to talk about confronting uh, Jacob. And, and, and I, I love this idea. So Miriam's Webster's Dictionary... The first definition says this about um, confrontation. It defines it as a face-to-face meeting. Confrontation, a face-to-face meeting. Actually, if you look at the word, you'll see right in the middle of the word, the word front, right? So it means like like you're up front with this one, and the con is actually from the Latin prefix meaning with. And so you're doing it, you're, you're, you're fronting yourself with another person doing something face-to-face. Now, as a dad, how many know that not everybody likes to face things? Right? How many of you, you got kids, and you get ready to bust your kids because they've done something wrong, and they, their eyes start wandering all over, look to the side and up and down. We, we had this thing in our household, and so part of the reason for the dysfunction of my family is because of me, Um, which totally embrace and understand. I like to joke that I give my children a reason for therapy. So, but that's my own problem. But I would do this with my kids. When they would would get into trouble or we had to communicate a message, I would be like this. Look here. Look right here. And I'd tap my nose to get their attention to say, look right here. And the reason I would do it is because If not, their eyes are wanting, and you're trying to get a message to them, and their eyes are all over, and you're like, no, 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 right here. And we we taught our kids from an early age that, you know, when when it comes to the issues that we have, we actually have to face them. And just so you know, just for fun, I still do this every once in a while. I'm like, no, look here, look here. I'm like, Jonathan, come on, Jonathan, he's... I'm just kidding, I don't do that to my oldest son. Maybe my youngest, but not as much. But it's this whole idea. Look here, look me in the eye. And the reason is, is because sometimes in life, we can get into uncomfortable situations, and our tendency is to begin to look everywhere else. Now, I'm convinced that we are all created with purpose and for purpose. And for us to actually begin to live the purpose that God has for us, that there is a need for divine confrontation where we actually get face-to-face with God. Where He says, hey, look at me. We have stuff to talk about. 
Now, I know that many times the idea of confrontation does not evoke a whole lot of warm, fuzzy feelings. And it can sometimes make us incredibly uncomfortable and, and, and difficult conversations and uncomfortable situations are things that we sometimes seek to avoid. Yet I'm convinced that if we're going to alter our destinies, especially in God's presence, sometimes we need a place of confrontation. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 32. And we're going to read, I'm going to read in just a moment, verse 22 through 30. And, and just kind of setting it up, this is the story of Jacob who happens to be the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. And he is a child both of purpose and promise. And, and what we're going to pick up in the story, he is, he's a much older man. He's a father. He's got 11 kids. Uh, he's got all these things that seem to be going right for him. Yet, uh, what we'll see as we see this story, the importance of divine confrontation. And so this is how it begins in verse 22. It says this, That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, which is a river. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions, and so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome and Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And it says the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his for Jacob, as he goes through this experience, there's something about it that he recognizes that he's wrestling with more than just men or a man. He's wrestling with God. And I love it because it's the called the place Peniel, which means uh, face of God. And, and he says, it is because I saw God's, God face to face. See, this is actually a story of divine confrontation. Now, as, as we look at this story, I think there's some really important ideas that we need to understand, especially as we seek to live the purpose that God created us for. And the first thing I want to note is this, is that every character is a flawed character. Like we see this in the Bible, every character except Jesus is a flawed character. Now, before I go on, how many of you know the person you're sitting next to? is a flawed character. Come on now. So, Pat, don't raise your hand so high so fast. How many know if we were honest with ourselves, the person we look at in the mirror is a flawed person? Okay, there's a few of us. Man, we got, how many know we got issues? Look at your neighbor and say, I got issues. I got issues. 
Some of you are smiling when you're saying it, like, I got all the good ones, right? But we have issues. We're we're kind of flawed. Now, this is such an interesting story, the story of Jacob, because Jacob starts out, and and, and again, he is uh, is actually a twin, and so he's a twin brother. He's going to be the younger of of the two twins. And and as you read the stories, you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 25. Rebecca, his mother, you you know, God sovereignly intervened. And uh, she, she has this, uh, she has this uh, stuff going on in her, this movement, and she goes, oh, she knows she's pregnant. She's like, what's going on? And God speaks to her and says, two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, how many of you have got a little sibling rivalry that goes on in your household, right? Who's the, who's the older and who's the better? So my oldest sister and I, we, every once in a while, we have fun little competitions. And uh, she, she loves to think she's better than me, but we all know she isn't. Um, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just kidding, you know. But it's that, you know, that competition between siblings. And, and, and right from the beginning, Jacob and Esau... Man, there was a struggle that happened, so much so that, that Esau gets born first, but he's not born first by much because just after Esau is born, there, there's a hand that, in a sense, is holding on to Jacob's ankle as he comes out next. And Jacob actually means to grasp the heel. And, and, and so it's this idea of, uh, of trying to like slow somebody down because I'm going to get ahead of you. And so Jacob carries a whole lot of meaning that this idea of grasping the heel and, and sometimes it gets added into the idea of, of, uh, of being deceptive. But as we come to Jacob, the thing you have to understand about Jacob is he really is a flawed character. And, and part of the flaws that he has is that he, he's convinced that through conniving and manipulation, he can make his life blessed. Like he feels that he is smart enough and he is strong enough and, and he, can, he can act and move in such a way in order that his life might be blessed. And so we find in his life that he continually schemes to make blessing manifest in him. So much so that he tricks his brother out of the blessing of the firstborn. And, and, and if you've read the story, you'll find out he, he dresses up in his brother's clothes and he's got, you know, hairs on his arms, his goat skin, and he prepares this meal in order to take advantage of his dad who is old and, and can't see like he used to in order that he might get his dad's blessing. But rather than experiencing blessing, he ends up finding himself on the run. And we find out that the man who thinks that he is smart enough and he can connive and, and force blessing upon himself, we find, that, find out that he himself is even susceptible to deception. And he gets taken advantage of, and, and, and there's this whole mess that happens. But ultimately, as a result of his flaw, that this idea of conniving and grasping, it results in estrangement from others, as well as living outside the place of God's promise. You see, when, when he tricked his brother out of the blessing, Esau said, Jacob, I want you to understand this because what you did was wrong. What, what I want you to understand is this, 
is you stole dad's blessing and I respect dad too much to take you out now, but once dad dies, I will kill you. I will get my blessing back. And Jacob, in his fear, ends up running. And he leaves the place of promise. He leaves, he leaves his family. From that moment, he doesn't get to see his mother again. There's, there's all, this, all this drama that happens. But he's a flawed person. And I think this is an important idea because the, the reality is is sometimes we, we look at our own lives and, and, and we're totally aware of the flaws. And I want you to understand that, that God, will see as this story unfolds, that God saw all of Jacob's flaws, yet he loved him. I remember hearing somebody say once that God loves us just as we are, yet he loves us too much to leave us as we are. How many know that to be true? God loves us. How many of you got kids? You love them just as they are, but you're not content to leave them as they are. I want you to know our Heavenly Father is the same way. He loves you as you are. There's no flaw that you have that He's not unaware of. And there's no flaw that you have, no, no error, no, no, no failing, no sin, no nothing like that that is so great that His love is not greater still. He loves you as you are. But He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And because of this, he is willing to deal with Jacob's flaw. And just like he does for Jacob, he does for us. You see, part of Jacob's flaw was this idea that I can, I can make the blessing happen. I can make my life resonate. I can make my life full. I can make my life good. And ultimately, as we, we understand through Scripture, what is sin? Right at the essence of sin, it's so much more than just a wrong action. Sin is about an orientation of the heart that says this, I can experience better, I, I, can, I can experience a better life apart from God. You know what, I don't need Him, I can make it happen myself. But wherever sin is at work, ultimately it results in ruin. It ruins relationships and it wrecks lives. And the reality is, is if we think about even the flaws of our own lives, that there, there's more than just the fact that we've done things wrong in our lives. There's, there's an orientation that we have. That, that there are times that sometimes we're, we can be a little bit selfish and sometimes we can be a little prideful. So sometimes we can, we, we, we can be so adamant about our way that we know how to make everything turn out for good. What it ends up doing is it ends up leading us far away from the place that God promises. So as we think about the story, I want you to remember that every character is a flawed character. But the second thing I want to note is that God leverages our tensions for our transformation. Okay, how many know life is hard? Okay, how many, how many here have experienced tension in life? Some of you are like going, this, this past week, how many of you in this past week, you experienced a little bit of tension? Now, the good news is this, is that God uses tension for transformation. So if you're experiencing tr tension, good news, it's an opportunity for God to bring change in our lives. But life is hard. And, and, and Jacob, is, as we get ready, as we think about the story that he's in, he, he's this flawed character. And, and God says, okay, Jacob, it's time to go back. And, and part of what, what, what precipitated the journey back 
is the fact that the place he was was beginning to become far more uncomfortable. In Genesis 31, it says this, that Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. Like, the, the, the setting that he was in, there, there was this family tension that was starting to arise. And, and he was concerned about, about Laban's sons because they're like going, okay, they're going to take me out. And, and so God's like, I want you to go back to the land of promise, to go back to the land of your fathers. And he's like, yeah, but if, if I go back to the land of my fathers, guess who's going to be there? Esau. And God says, listen, I'm going to use these two tensions. The two tensions that you're between, the Laban's sons and your brother, and I am going to leverage this situation to help bring transformation to you. So sure enough, as Jacob begins to make his way back, he, find, he gets word that Esau hears that he is coming. And in his ears and in his mind and his heart, he remembers that conversation with his brother. When dad is dead... And I see you, I will kill you. And Jacob's like going, okay, so I, I'm, I'm leaving a place where there's threat and I'm moving toward a place of threat. Well, what am I supposed to do? This is a time of heightened anxiety and uncertainty for him. And so as the scripture says, it says at night he, he takes his wife and, and his wives and his children and, and his possessions and he sends them across the Jabbok. thinking to himself, I'll create a barrier in order that I might survive. And verse 24 says this, Jacob, after he sent everybody over, he stays on his side of the river, and it says, Jacob was alone. And you know, I, I think the way Jacob responds in the midst of tension isn't all that different from you and me. Because often when there are times of tension, you know, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of, you know, uh, heightened anxiety, we begin to try and take control of what we can. And sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll push things forward in order that we might be protected. And sometimes our quest for security actually isolates us rather than fixes what's going on. It was into this moment that God chooses to confront Jacob. And God begins to leverage the tension for transformation. And I think, again, this is important because sometimes in our lives, we, are, we face tension. And we face the uncertainty and we face the anxiety. And we have our, our strategies by which we're, we're going we're gonna to create space so that we can make it through. Yet God says, it's into this moment that I want to meet you. It's into this moment that I want to work some stuff out in your life so that you can actually live the purpose I created you for. You see, God uses our tensions to shape us so that we might become the people God intends. 
This is why I said earlier, tension is an opportunity for transformation. And so if you're in the place, you're like going, oh my goodness, I'm in the midst of tension and, and you feel you're between two things and you're just like, there's no good options. Good news is this, is that God longs to meet you even in that place to begin to change you. The last thing I would note from the story is not only is every character flawed and that God leverages our tensions for our transformation, but thirdly, our wrestling with God changes our walk in the world. So ultimately, this is a story of wrestling. How many of you love wrestling or grew up wrestling? A few of us. Pastor Dwayne, he's a wrestler. You can tell his build and everything. He is built, <laughs> built for struggle. But, but, but I, love, I love how God manages this whole situation. <coughs> Jacob is afraid because his brother's coming and he thinks to kill him. He's running from people because he thinks, you know what, there's this threat that if we stay close, they're going to take me out. He says, my strategy, I'll push everybody to the other side. I'll be alone. I'll be safe. And then in the middle of the night, while it is dark, God jumps him. I love this part of the story. Because what God does in this story is, is he actually heightens the tension, doesn't he? Like he steps in. Now, I don't know about you. This is the God that I sometimes hope for. In the midst of my tensions, God shows up as a bright, warm light that says, I love you, you're beautiful, we'll make it. How many love those moments? Oh, aren't you grateful for moments? God does that at times. But into this moment, God steps in and attacks him, battles him, wrestles with him. But not only does he wrestle, this is what I think is so funny because we, we find out God doesn't even wrestle fair. Okay, how many know God is omnipotent, meaning all-powerful? How many know that humans are terribly limited and our power is just, there's like a limit to it? Okay, so number one, that's not fair. But then secondly, what God does to Jacob while they're wrestling is just like, watch this, and he takes him out at the hip. Right? So, so it's not just like you, you, you're like, you, you remember wrestling as a dad with your small children. I remember this. You would wrestle them and you kind of pin them fun. Yada-da, this is fun. But, but God's like going, watch this. And then he wrenches his hip. Something about Jacob, he's not ready to bend yet. He's like, I'm just going to lean into this fight. And he just starts wrestling even more in the dark, so much so that as daybreak comes, the man he's wrestling with says, okay, it's time to let me go. It's almost daybreak. I love Jacob's honest plea. Because he says something that I think is so important because he was wrestling for something for so long. He was conniving and scheming for something. And even though the world would look at his life and say, he's got the thing that he's struggling for. Jacob knows, I don't have it yet. And so when the man says, let me go, he says, I will not let you go until... 
you bless me. See, there's something about our being that there are moments that we are struggling and we are striving to get the thing that we think we want and then we get it and then we find out that that wasn't the thing I really wanted or the thing that I needed. And Jacob's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. The man then asked Jacob an an important question. He says, what's your name? Now, now, Now in this time, names were so much more than just mere identifiers. Names were connected with destiny and character and person. He's like, who are you? And Jacob has this clear moment. He says, you know what? I'm Jacob. I'm the guy that's grasping at the heel. I'm trying to to pull people back so I can get ahead. I'll leverage deception. I'll do all these things. I am Jacob. And he has an honest moment about who he really is. And then the man says, you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with men and have overcome. Israel means wrestle with God. That no longer are you going to be defined by your deception and your grasping You're going to actually, your life is going to be defined by your struggle. You're face to face with me. See, this is why Jacob realized that this was so much more than just a struggle between himself and a stranger. It truly was a struggle with God. He even calls the place Peniel, which literally means face of God. And he he called it that, and he's like, because I saw God face to face. And as a result, Jacob would no longer walk through the world as he did before. He would walk different. I want you to know that the presence of God that we are shaped by our time in God's presence. And that being in the presence of God is so much more than just the warm, fuzzy feelings, the assurances, though I am so grateful for those, for, for, the, for the peace, for the rest, for the, for, the, for the sense of being loved, being known, being valued. That God sometimes invites us to his presence because he's like, going, you know what? I want you to live the life you were created for. And in order for you to experience the life you were created for, there's some issues we need to deal with with you. And he'll be like this, look me in the eye. Look me in the face. And God does this because he cares so much about us. 
And he wants us to have these encounters where, where there's something about us that, that, that those flaws, those, those issues, those, those things that are holding us back that, that keep us from divine purpose and divine promise. And he says, I want to work on these in your life so that you may walk and live out the purpose that I have for you. And if we can just encounter God, then we're not going to leave the place the same. You see, God is working on our person to shape us for our purpose. You see, if we're going to alter our destinies, we actually have to confront the Jacob in us. We actually have to confront our flaws and our issues. We, we have to, if we're going to alter our destinies, we have to say, God, I need you to wrestle with Because ultimately, we all recognize there are areas and parts of our character and life that need changing. So how do we begin to do it? The first thing we need to do if we're going to allow God to alter, if we're going to have this confrontation, this wrestling with God that changes us, what we need to do is we need, the, we need to allow the Spirit of God to search us. It was David who prayed this amazing prayer in Psalm 139. He says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God. Hey, when was the last time you asked God to search you and to evaluate your heart and your mind? To, 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 to have Him search your anxieties. The reality is, as we go through this life and, and there are so many fears and there's worries and anxieties and, and they're being driven by something deep within us. And the psalmist says, David prays, God, would you search me? Would you help me understand? Because sometimes what's going on deep in us is profoundly and negatively impacting what's going on around us. So God, would you search me? If we're going to confront our Jacob, it's not a, just about allowing the Spirit of God to search us, but it's also beginning to accept responsibility for our stuff. How many know it's pretty easy to shift blame for our fallenness away from us? Because how many know the real issue isn't me? It's everybody else around me. Can I get, how many know that if my spouse would just be a better spouse, good Lord, I would be a better person? Can I get a witness? No, no, you're not supposed to witness on that one, Deborah. Oh, my word. How many know that if we had better kids, come on now, we would be like way better humans? Right? If, if I just had better kids or if I had a better job, man, if I was just part of a better church, my goodness, then my life would soar. Man, if, you know, if everything around me got better, then I would be good. Because you know who the problem isn't? It's not me. It's the spouse. It's the kids. It's my job. It's my church. It's everybody else but me. And we can't understand 
why we don't see growth in our lives, because what we do in our society, in our culture is this, is we begin to exchange the outer things rather than changing the inner things. Because you know what? If, my, if I get a better spouse and that spouse will make me better than the one I got, let's go find the new one. Let's go find the new kids. Or let's have another one or seven. Just kidding. Well, we think these things. I'll just go, I'll go find the other job and then, and then my life is going to flourish. And then we do all that stuff and we're just like, wait. If I just had another spouse... If I just had another job, another church, and, and, and we do this, and we watch people. I, I see this all, people bouncing from place to place to place, because if I can get that, it will make me better. But the question is, is the thing that needs to change isn't the thing around you, it's the thing in you. So the very first sin in the Bible, you remember the whole story of Adam and Eve in the garden, eating the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat? And then God shows up, and God's like, hey, Adam, where are you? And Adam's like, I'm hiding. All right. Now, what I love about this story, did God know where Adam was? Yes. So why is God asking the question? For his benefit or for Adam's? For Adam's. Hey, often God will ask you questions for your benefit, not his. Right? It's a good thing. Adam, where are you? I'm hiding. All right, Adam, why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. All right, Adam, who told you you were naked? And I love what Adam does. Oh, oh, hey, this woman <laughs> that you gave me caused me to do all these things. It was the woman's fault, and it was God's fault, but it wasn't Adam's fault. Now, I want you to know, there's a lot of things that can explain why you responded the way you responded. But you were the one who responded. There may be things that make you angry, but it was your anger that caused you to say and do those things that you regret. You did that. And see, change doesn't happen in our life. As we say, you know, I need to change all the exteriors. And God knows this. This is why God is like, listen, the place where transformation takes place is in my presence and it's with you. What is your name? My name is Jacob. And until we begin to accept responsibility for our stuff, there can be no significant change in our lives. See, God knows, knows us, yet He loves us too much to allow our issues to go unaddressed. And, and this is why, how, how do you begin to experience transformation? How are we altered in His presence? We need to allow the Spirit of God to search us, but we also have to begin to accept responsibility for our stuff. And then what we have to do is we have to choose repentance. Repentance is a change of, and, of mind and heart that results in a change of direction. 
You see, at some point we have to say, okay, you know what? It's, God, it's time for a change in me. It, it's, it's a time for a change in my attitude. It's a time for change in, in my action. It's time for a change. And nobody can make that decision for you, but you. How many of you have you've learned already you can't change anybody else? Right? You can't. You can only choose to change you. And so often we spend so much time trying to change someone else rather than choosing to change ourselves. But we have to choose repentance. Repentance is how change happens. God would speak to his people. Because the idea of repentance isn't just for, for the sinners or those who are just, you know, on the outs with God. Repentance is something that God's people need to practice on a regular basis. The recognition, there's a change that needs to take place. I know I'm saved. I know I'm forgiven. I know I've got a new future and a new destiny because of what God has done for me. But I still have to choose to say, God, I, am, I was wrong. God, would you forgive me? God, I, I need a change. God would speak to his people and say, this is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. I want you to hear this. This is what God told his people. In repentance and rest is your salvation. Like, where do we experience salvation? And again, the salvation there is, is, is the idea of rescue, the idea of redemption, the idea of restoration. Where is salvation? How we begin to experience it? It's in repentance and rest is your salvation. And then he says this, in quietness and trust is your strength. And then he adds this phrase, which I think is awful. Because God says, this is the way for salvation. This is the way for strength. But you would have none of it. You would have none of it. You would not know restoration. You would not know change. Because you were unwilling to repent. And I think sometimes we miss out on the blessing God longs to pour upon our families. The blessing God longs to pour upon our communities. Because we are unwilling to change. And there is a deep transformation that is needed, so much more than just the change of a habit or an act. We need a change of a heart. So how do we alter? How do we confront Jacob? We allow the Spirit of God to search us. We accept responsibility for ourselves. We choose repentance. But we also have to learn to receive forgiveness and grace. You see, God confronts us with our stuff to transform us by His grace. I remember hearing one of the pastors I worked with many years ago. He said this, God is working in your life to expose your sin. He would then go on to say, Satan is also working in your life to expose your sin. God seeks to expose your sin to restore you. 
The devil seeks to expose your sin to ruin you. I don't know about you, but I need the grace of God to change me. And you know what? In the scenario, God and the enemy are working to expose your sin. That means at some point it's going to come out. And I would rather the grace of God to meet me in my ways than the ruin that comes just from mere accusation. And God says, listen, my my heart is to restore you. The reason I bring this stuff up is because my desire is to forgive you. The reason Jesus came was so that your sin and mine, that the power of sin upon our lives could be broken so that we can actually live the purpose we were created for. And what you and I have to do, God says, listen, I care about you so much. I see the purpose. I see the plan. I made you with purpose. I made you for purpose. And I want to wrestle with you in my presence that as you work through these things, I want you to know my heart is to release you and restore you. And then what happens from that is we begin to walk in His love. See, ultimately, God is wrestling with our hearts because He wants to change our walk. And we need to say, God, would you work in me? Would you do what you need to do in me that I might walk with you? See, God is working on our person to shape us for our purpose. I want to invite the worship team to come. As we see in this story, Every character is a flawed character. And I know we're honest enough to recognize we got lots of flaws. And it, are those, and it is those flaws that keep us from His promise and His purpose. And He wasn't satisfied to leave us in our sin. But he came to rescue us. Every character is flawed. We see also that God leverages our tensions for transformation. Maybe you're in a point right now where you're wrestling with a bunch of tensions. It could be relational. It could be financial. It could just be state-of-the-world stuff. And your, your heart is just, it's just, there's just tension I want you to know that God leverages the tensions that we wrestle with ultimately for our transformation. And what he invites us to do is to wrestle with him so that he may change our walk in the world. We need to alter our destinies. We do that in his presence. Wrestling with the God who loves us. Now, I know this is not the feel-good message of the year. It's like going, ouch. But God loves us too much. He has invested too much in you to abandon you. I want you to know you haven't gone too far. you're, You're not too broken. That His love and His grace can't redeem and restore 
It's Jesus who changes us. And so how we're going to close is this. We're going to do sort of like we did last week. Altering our destinies in His presence. I grew up, the altar was this space that was just generally in front of the pulpit. It was just simply a place to meet with God. And maybe you're here and, and, and there's some flaws that God's been kind of like poking at, at you. It, it may be that, that even as I've been sharing, you've been, you've been shifting some responsibility and you're saying, well, it's this person's problem, this, but, but you're beginning to understand, wait, there's some stuff in me. I believe that God's grace wants to meet us and change us. That he wants us to become the people he created us to be. And so in a moment, Pastor Dwayne and the worship team are going to lead us in a song. And, and as they begin, I'm going to invite everybody or whoever wants to come down and just spend a few moments in God's presence. Saying, God, I come with all my flaws, all my stuff, all my issues. And Lord, I ask you, to begin a work to change my heart. Because he wants to meet us with his grace and his goodness. So let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you're here in this place, that Lord, you have given us your word to speak to us, to challenge us, to change us. And God, there, there's so much in our lives where we're trying to experience the good life and we're trying, to, we're, we're trying to live out what blessing looks like. And often we're doing it in our own strength and in our own strategies. Trying to do it apart from you. God, I thank you for grace that, that loves us and meets us. Even when we... We've rejected you when we try to do our own thing. Yet, God, you keep calling us to yourself. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that brings conviction, that, 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 that helps us become aware of the areas in our hearts and lives that need to change by your grace. And so, God, would you wrestle with us God, we want to wrestle with you that you might change us. And just while your head's about it and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what, there are, some, there are some flaws in my character that I know God needs to change. If that's you, would just raise your hand. You're saying, you know what, there's some stuff that I know God needs to change in me. I see those hands. You can place them down. Is there anyone else? For everybody who's raised your hand, I want you to know God loves you and He's not done with you. And it's His grace that meets you to change you. So Father, you see these hands, you see these hearts, you see these people who are so dear to you. And Father, I speak grace and blessing and goodness over them. Lord, I pray that as they spend time in your presence, that you would help them become the people you created them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. As the worship team uh, leads us, again, I want to invite you to the altars. Spend some time in His presence.